Welcome to the sermon podcast for Compass Church. In this message from May 2nd, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder launches into a new sermon series entitled, What is the Bible? Drawing from the opening pages of scripture, Pastor Craig invites us into a grand and beautiful story of a God who is both powerful and relational. For more information, please visit compassefc.com. Here's Pastor Craig. Well, I'm Craig. Uh, For those of you who don't remember me, uh, I've been gone for a few weeks. I was uh, trying out for the Mets. (laughs) Don't worry, I didn't make it, so I'll be here for a little bit. Uh, It turns out they have standards, unlike the Cardinals. (laughs) Thank you. That originally was going to be the Royals, but that just felt a little too true. So, mad respect, Royals fans. I got lots of respect, all right? It's a farm team for the Red Sox. Um, But yeah, no, uh, my wife and I, we had a baby. Uh, Well, not, we didn't have, she had the baby, I just watched. Um, But the the miracle of life is amazing, and I've just been telling people, like, uh, if dudes had to have babies, uh, the, the human population would be way smaller. So that's it. I'm done pandering to the women in here, but I just thank you for all. I mean, it was amazing and beautiful. Mama's healthy, baby's healthy. So thank you all for the generosity and the love and the outpouring. We've just been super blown away. And um, anyway, thank you. Uh, I also... Uh, you know, newborn, I have this with me, and if, if I say anything heretical, just like, you know, we'll have a motion, okay? Like, I'll circle back around, okay? We're, my, he was, like, yelling at the ceiling last night, so if I, if I say anything that's a little off, just somebody, you guys, just, you know, make one of those, and we'll circle back around. Um, but we here at Compass Church, we love, 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 love the Bible. Just me? Okay. Yeah, so I have this deep conviction. I deeply believe that God's people hunger for God's word. They may not have that vocabulary. They may not know that, but they just long to hear from God and hear his word. And we want to lean into that here. We want to, if it's an amplifier, we want to crank it to 11. Okay, but here's a concern that I have in that I'm, I'm concerned we're reading the Bible wrong. I'm concerned that we who love the Bible have a high view of Scripture. We can answer all the right questions. That the Bible is God's word. It's authoritative. It's inerrant. We can even use big words. I'm concerned we might be reading it wrong. And and I have that concern because I used to read it wrong. So uh, about 10 years ago, I had just finished Bible college even. And I I went to, uh, for those of you who don't know, I went to the Master's University. And so... uh, I loved the Bible. I was a Bible nerd. I was thinking about going to seminary. And I, I don't know if I would have said this at the time, but looking back now, though I loved the Bible, though I read the Bible, though I celebrated the Bible, there was, if I'm being honest, in the quietness of my heart, like a spiritual stagnation. You know, I kind of felt like, I know this. I got this down. I went to Bible college after all. Come on. Got it down. Uh, but my wife, she ended up working at the Master's University, and we lived beside it. We lived in, like, a, a professor's apartment above his garage. And so on my days off from the credit union, I would go and I'd hang out at, at the Master's with her. And uh, at the time, he was just an Old Testament professor. He's since gone on to become the interim president. But we would hang out with this guy. His name was Abner. And Abner, like, knew, knew, knew the Bible. I mean, like, it was amazing. Like, we would be hanging out in his office, I'd be asking him questions, and he'd show me all these amazing connections. And so one day, I just made this statement to him. I, and, and if someone ever says something like this to you, don't, don't say what he said to me, but God used it, all right? Here's what happened. I'm like, hey, man, like, I went to Bible college, same Bible college you went to. Like, how come you know the Bible way better than me? And, like, you're, you know, you're, you're seeing all these things I'm not seeing. This is what he said, right? I was trying to give him a compliment. Like, you know, I wasn't really asking that. That wasn't a question, right? That was like, hey, man, you're great. And he said, well, that's on you, man. Can you believe that? He's like, that's on you, man. He's like, you know, we have the same amount of resources and time, and it's your fault you don't get it. Holy cow. And he's like, here's what, here's what you should do. Why don't you, I have a night class. It's an Old Testament survey. Why don't you come sit in on it, and maybe it'll help fill in some of the holes that you're missing. I don't know if you know about, if you think Midwest niceties or anything, you should meet West Coast niceties. I was like, yeah, totally. Oh, my gosh, that would be awesome. Inwardly, I'm like, are you serious, bro? Like, just so you know, if you didn't go to Bible college, like, Old Testament survey is like, it's like intro, 
okay? And like, he's like, you don't know anything. Come, come to this Old Testament survey class. I'm like, all right. So honestly, I didn't want to go. So Amy's all excited. She said, this will be great. And I'm like, oh, this is so humbling. Fine. So that night, it was like a Tuesday night. We go to his Old Testament survey class. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I just remember sitting in the back of that class and Abner showing these connections and how the Bible is this really beautiful unified story and it's confusing and it's strange. And if you wander the streets with that Bible, it's just, well, you can get lost in this biblical world and it all leads to Jesus. And I remember just sitting in the back of that class and just being just so, feeling just the weight, the weight of the Bible. And honestly, I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember thinking... If people really knew this, if people heard this, this would change the world. And I believed that back then, and, and I believe that now. Fast forward, that, that's what God used to propel me into ministry. I wasn't sure I wanted to be in the ministry, but I'm like, yo, I just want to do that. What he's doing, I just want to do. And so I start listening to Abner a lot. I'm like, you know, I'm just, he's helping me. It's kind of like training wheels. And I'm like starting to just, for a while, I was just mimicking everything he said. But then I'm starting to, you know, learning to read is kind of humbling. I'm starting to do it on my own. And I'm seeing these amazing connections. I'm seeing the Bible and all of its beauty and grandeur. And so fast forward now, I'm in Kentucky. I'm in seminary. And I'm starting to put the pieces together on my own. It's kind of like learning to walk, and I'm getting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing it all right. And I remember I'm sitting in a class. I'm sitting in Hebrew exegesis of Exodus. Yeah, right? We come a long way, baby. And so I'm sitting in this class, and I'm angry. All right? So awe had compelled me to come to that class, and the awe train broke down, and now I'm just angry. Because here's what, here's what I experienced in that classroom in Kentucky. I'm, I'm sitting there and we're just, there's amazing depth and richness in this text. It's awesome. It is, I'm, I'm literally having to go on walks to process these things. And I'm, I'm sitting there with my fellow classmates and I'm like, yo, how come nobody's doing this in church? How come at church we just get like the same six sermons? Like there's like gold here, and how come we're not getting that in our churches? And do you know what somebody said to me? Keep in mind, I'm like pretty mad. All right, you know what someone said to me? They said this. Well, they wouldn't get it. This is very complicated. This is very nuanced. And people in the pews just wouldn't get it. This sermon series that we're starting today is both trying to be a correction of how we read scripture, and it's a monument to some guy in Kentucky who thinks you're dumb. Okay? Take that, Kentucky. Here we go. Here, here's, here's a real thing. Like I said earlier, God's people hunger for God's word. And the God of scripture is a hurricane. He is a hurricane, okay? And part of the reason we can run into and bump into spiritual stagnation is because we're like this guy who, who Einstein met a few years ago. So uh, John Whitcomb, he, uh, he told this story that he was uh, walking around. It's a story at Princeton. Uh, there's a, it kind of went viral before the internet. Uh, Einstein was at Princeton and he's walking around. And a student who has no idea who... Albert Einstein is, bumps into him and starts talking to him. And is like, oh, hey, man, like, what are you doing here? And Einstein says, well, I'm a, I'm a student of physics. And you know what the guy said to him? Oh, physics? I took that last semester. <laughs> part of the reason, part of the reason we can bump into spiritual stagnation and spiritual staleness is because we're just like that guy. I got this. I know everything. I've been a Christian a long time. You know, the Bible just kind of echoes what I already think, right? To quote St. Augustine, to quote St. Augustine, if the Bible never challenges you, if the Bible never challenges you, you may not be worshiping the God of the Bible. You might be worshiping yourself. And so what we want to do, we want to just sit back and kind of let this hurricane 
out on all of us. So Stephen Dempster, he's an Old Testament scholar, he said that one of the biggest challenges of interpretation is missing the whole for the parts. Missing the whole for the parts. If we're trying to get from Portland, Maine to San Diego, California, it is super helpful that you know how to get from Pennsylvania to Ohio. Okay? That's helpful. It's great. We said, what is it, 70? 70. Right? Great. Uh, but it's not that helpful. You there's a lot of country we still got to cover. And my concern is that we're reading the Bible like theological liberals. Now, take a breath. Okay. We're okay. All right? I, we live in a very polarized age, okay? And around here, we hate labels, okay? I hate labels. Labels, uh, to quote David Dark, to label someone is a form of violence. It's like, I understand you, now I don't need you, okay? I'm not just trying to label people. This is an accepted, agreed-upon, like, category, okay? And, 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 we also have to separate theological liberal from politics, Okay, they're totally different. I went to a seminary in Kentucky that uh, for many years was influenced by theological liberalism. And so uh, then, they, then they became theologically conservative. And I met a ton of people who were theologically liberal. Uh, and it blew my mind. Like, they were like Amish. Like, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not joking. I'm meeting these people who are theologically liberal and they are Amish. And I'm like, this is super weird because I was thinking in the wrong categories. Here's what theological liberalism did. It examined the branches and totally disregarded the whole forest. And then here's what happens. This branch is very different from this branch over here. So let me give you a real example, okay? So Genesis 1 calls God Elohim. Genesis 2 calls God Yahweh Elohim. And so instead of backing up and seeing the whole picture, theological liberals were like, well, that's because one group of people wrote Genesis 1, and that's how they knew and understood God. And another group of people wrote Genesis 2, and they knew and understood God differently. And so the Bible is not authoritative. It really is just like a diary of people's religious experiences. And the reason, look, we are surfing. We are surfing in waves that this created. Okay? We love... We let, let me be clear, we love at this church preaching through books of the Bible, going through them. But if, you don't, if, if that's all our diet is, we're going to be lopsided really fast. We're going to miss the forest for the trees. We're going to know Pennsylvania, but are we going to get to San Diego? Okay? And, and, and here's, here's why this matters for us today. So theological liberalism, what is that? It's the Christian faith making its peace with the Enlightenment. Here's what happened. This really great guy, this really well-intentioned guy, Frederick Schleiermacher, okay? He wanted to reach his neighbors for Jesus. We're on board with Frederick right now. That's great. We totally affirm that. And he's hanging out in like Berlin in like the 1800s in the salon culture. Like, what's that? It's like he's hanging out with like the Joe Rogans. He's hanging out in coffee shops. All right, like he's like, he is in it. Again, we are with Frederick Schleiermacher. That is wonderful and good. We want to reach our neighbors. Here's what happened though. Here's what happened. He's like, they think Christianity is a joke because of the enlightenment. And so what Schleiermacher did was he, he tried to say, yeah, the Bible isn't really authoritative in God's word. It's just a collection of people's religious experiences. And so this is, this is literally what he said. The Bible is not an absolute authority, but a collection of reports about the religious experiences of persons through antiquity. What in the world does that mean? What does that mean? It's not a God who's revealing himself. It's just people saying their experiences of God. So now what? Well, who am I to say that your experiences are less valid than my experiences? And what happened... What happened, we're still swimming in those waves. What happened is we lost the beauty. So the, the answer to theological liberalism is not 
theological conservatism. Okay? The answer to theological liberalism is being a conservationist. What do conservationists do? They protect the beauty of an ecosystem. The opening pages of Scripture, is, it's not like if, if we did what Schleiermacher, we do what Schleiermacher does. We're going to talk about that in a second. But if, we're just, if we just get into fights of like, yeah, this one community wanted to talk about how like God is powerful. And this one community over here wanted to talk about how God is relational. And we don't see those as, as, a, as a symphony. And one, there's one speaker over here playing like the harmony. And there's one speaker over here playing the melody. We miss the beauty of Scripture. And we chop down the forest. All right? That's what's at stake here. And we do that. So, over the next 12 weeks, we're going to back up. And we have a couple of agenda items that we want to get done in these next 12 weeks. The first one is that correction. We don't, we don't want to miss the forest for the trees. All right? Secondly, secondly, I want to be a worship leader for you over these next 12 weeks. What do I mean by that? We often tend to think, we often tend to think, oh, worship, that's just the singing. And now we're like, I don't know, learning or we're in class. No, this is worship. I am confident. I am confident. I'm trying to recreate the experience that I had in the back of Abner's class for you this week. And I'm confident that if you see what I'm seeing, you're going to love it like I love it. I, I just want to just let this hurricane, I don't know what you keep hurricanes in, or let this semi out of the garage and just, poof, right, off to the races. Because I'm confident it will just, the weight and the beauty of this text will create worship. Behold our God. Or as Isaiah says, we want to see the king in his beauty. The third thing I want to do with this sermon series, there are those among us, who don't know the Bible, and we're very intimidated by that. Like, have you ever, have you ever, like, been at a party, and someone's like, you're like, hey, I'm Craig, what's your name? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> okay, I'm just going to go with it, and then 10 minutes later, I'm, like, embarrassed to ask you your name, because I didn't catch it. That's what church is for a lot of us, right? Like, especially churches that love the Bible, if we don't feel like we know the Bible as well as everybody else, it can be kind of intimidating to be like, wait, I'm so sorry. Like, what, what's a Galatians? Okay? And, and, and here, here's what I want to do. I want to create a safe space for those of us who don't know to come and be blown away. It's a safe space we can invite our friends where they can see the beauty and the story that we are getting invited into. And let's be honest. Let's be honest. A lot of us are faking it. All right? We're like, yeah, I totally, I totally know. I totally know the Bible super well because I've been a Christian for like 40 years, you know. That's fine. That's fine. But we're, we're, we're going to, all of us, we're on a journey together. We're not going to be like that student with Einstein. The Bible invites us with open hands to come and say, I receive correction. Where am I not thinking like God thinks? Help me see it. Help me see. Help me see the ways where, I, just like Schleiermacher was well-intentioned, help me see ways that I'm well-intentioned. Because this is the thing. We're not going to, like, we're going to, we're going to kind of follow Schleiermacher. We're going to try to reach out to our neighbors. We're going to step into those spaces, but we're going to reach out without selling out as best we can. And we're also not going to take our basketball and go home. But well, the world's a scary place. It goes bump in the night. We're out of here. Peace. We're going to engage. We're going to stay, and we're going to invite people into the beauty of this story. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do two things in a second. Just one second. We're all going to stand, and I'm going to teach you hand motions. For those of you, for those of us who maybe did walk through the Bible as kids or whatever, this is like that but edited because there's like 70 hand motions. We're, we're going to limit it to 12, okay? I, there, lunch, I, I, I can't compete with lunch, okay? So we're going we're gonna to do 12, okay? We're going to do that. And we're going to read Genesis 1, but we're going to read it at the end of our message. Why? Why are we going to do that? Here's why. Uh, I think the average attention span is something like seven seconds. Okay? Like, like, no joke, goldfish, goldfish have attention spans of like nine seconds. Okay? Some of you just came back, 
right? We're just in and out, in and out, okay? It takes four minutes to read Genesis 1, all right? We're going to read it at the end, but I want to read it after we've unpacked it so you for yourself see things jumping off the page. See what, see what this story is communicating. So that then later in the week when you're at home and you're, you grab your Bible, you're like, I, I can do this. I, can, I saw it on Sunday. I'm gonna, I can see new things. I have the confidence to read this book throughout the week, all right? So we're going to read it at the end. So here's what we're going to do. Would everyone please stand with me? All right? These are the 12 weeks that we're going to be talking about. Okay, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do the motion, and you'll say it with me. So Okay, so just for example, this is creation. So you'll go creation. You'll say it as well. Kids. Okay, kids. Adults in your life think this is for you and not them. Okay? So you're going to need to, like, nudge the adults in your life and be like, hey, that was a pretty weak sauce creation. Okay? All right. Are we ready? We've got 12 leaves. We're going to do it twice. Ready? Creation. Fall. Abraham. Exodus. Torah. King David. Prophets. Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus and his cross. Church. Paul. Revelation. So good. So good. All right, we're going to do it one more time. You guys ready? Here we go. Good job, adults. All right, here we go. Creation. Fall. Abraham. Exodus. Torah. King David. Prophets. Jesus and his kingdom, Jesus and his cross. Oops, hang on. Uh, church, Paul, Revelation. All right, give you guys yourselves a round of applause. You can have a seat. All right. Woo, you made it. All right, here's where we're going today. The creation story, Genesis 1 and 2. It tells the same story twice. Genesis chapter 2 zooms in on day 6, okay? Here's the story in a nutshell. In six days, God creates everything. The end of his creation is culminated by making men and women in his image and then putting them in a garden, okay? Let me illustrate for you how we're reading the Bible. Remember I said we're reading the Bible wrong? Let me illustrate for you how we're reading the Bible wrong, ready? In six days, God made the universe. Okay? Six days. Now, there's three, there are three responses to that statement. In six days, God created the universe. Here's response number one. That's six literal 24-hour days, right? Response number two. Those days are not literal days. Those are ages or we don't know how long those are, right? Okay, and then response number three. Oh, no, can we please get along? Please don't talk about, like, that creation week and, like, creation evolution. I don't want to talk about it. Okay? There are those three people represented throughout this room and at home. Okay? And that is proof positive we are reading the story wrong. That is us bringing our questions, our challenges to the text. Okay? I believe Moses had a heavy hand in compiling the first five books of the Bible. Here's what I don't believe he did. Well, several thousand years from now, there's going to be this guy in England named Charles. He's going to come up with a theory. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Here's what I'll do. I'll I'll just scribble down these first two chapters. They'll be good to go. Okay? How do I know that that wasn't Moses' intention? When was the last time... When was the last time, if ever, you heard a praise song that went something like this? God is so awesome. He made the world in six literal 24-hour days. Anybody? 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 Bueller? Or how about this? God is so great. Those days aren't literal. And Christianity and science are not in conflict. Here's what songs you do hear. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. 
This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. Jesus said, wisdom is known by her children, and the fruit of all this infighting is more infighting. Okay? We just divide into camps, and we're like, well, they're not a good Christian. Well, they're not a good Christian. That's not why these two chapters are here. Here's why these two chapters are here. Moses wants to root your identity. Root your identity in your relationship to God. Here's what he's saying. You are a priest who was made to rule the world. Now, what does that mean? Let me just unpack this for just a second. The opening, Genesis 1-1, the opening verse, Bereshit bara Elohim et ha-shamayim et ha-aretz, okay? That's, as you were counting and keeping track, that's seven words in Hebrew. Seven words. In Hebrew, seven is the number of completeness or wholeness or also goodness. Right out of the opening pages, right out of the gates, Moses starts with God, and he says, this is God's story, beginning. It starts here, and it's, whole, it's goodness. God is teeming with life, and when we are with him, we experience that life. The wholeness is not just about the story. It's an invitation that if you embrace and get yourself caught up in the story, you too will experience wholeness. That's why again and again... As, the, as Moses talks about, he said, God made this and saw that it was good. A better word to say that is he saw that it was goodness. That life, God is teeming with life. And when we're with him, we experience real life. And he has made his creation as a temple because we're priests, he's made it so that we can dwell with him. And when we experience creation, we experience goodness and wholeness. Because experience creation, experiencing creation is what we're wired to do. We're wired to experience God through his creation. The word secular is an old Latin word that means world. The world is ours. There, in Hebrew, there's lots of words for worship. And there's lots of words for work. But there's one word that means both worship and work. And that's the charge God gave humanity. He put them in the garden to work and to keep it. We, creation is, the, the, Moses is trying to help us see that creation is God's temple. And we dwell with him and we, we're made to rule this temple and we experience him as we dwell in this temple place. All right, think about this for a second. We're going to unpack, we're going to back the truck up for a second. Genesis through Deuteronomy is originally, it's one book, okay? It's one unit, all right? Moses says in the beginning of Deuteronomy that he wrote this, he compiled this while the children of Israel were on the plains of Moab. So they're about to head into the promised land, and Moses is trying to root their identity as they go into the land, this is who you are. Think about it. They were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. How long has America been around? Not 400 years, okay? And yet we're all so shaped and influenced by American culture. So, for example, if I have a white plastic bag up here with red lettering that says, thank you, 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 okay? If I were to hold that up, Everyone would intuitively think, takeout. That doesn't say takeout anywhere, but we understand the symbols of our culture, just like 9-11, right? Those are just numbers. But for all of us who are older than 10, we remember exactly where we were on that day. It has deep and significant meaning for us. Moses is communicating to people because he's got them out of Egypt now he's trying to get Egypt out of them. And he's trying to communicate that the gods of Egypt and the gods of this land are different from Yahweh. Yahweh is so different. Look at Genesis 1 verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. 
darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What is the Spirit of God a symbol for throughout the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament? God's presence, exactly. In ancient Near Eastern creation myths, the gods are far away. There's a conflict. They're fighting. And they create humanity to serve their needs. They enslave humanity. What's Yahweh like? He's present in his creation. That, that spirit of God hovering over the surface of the deep, that's used in Deuteronomy, that word hover, to describe how a mother eagle hovers over her chicks. There's care. God is not, he, he's not, he doesn't, he's not like, I don't care about my creation. He deeply is invested and cares for his creation. He is present in his creation. Think about Ezekiel, right? Remember Ezekiel? He's like telling Israel to repent and they don't. And then he goes up on the hill and he watches God's spirit leave. What was being said there? God's presence left. And where did it leave, by the way? The temple. Where does God live? God lives in a temple. And so the biblical authors right out of the gate are trying to describe creation as a temple. And, and, and look, I'm not making this up. Moses, when he gets the instructions for the temple, listen to how familiar this sounds. This is, so he goes up on Sinai, and this is what it says, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the clouds covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. And then he gives him instructions to build the temple. This is a temple. It's a temple teeming with God's life. And Moses is communicating this story like a missionary. He's, he's using language and narratives and stories that his people would understand to draw them to the beauty of who God really is. Uh, John Walton, who's a professor at Wheaton College, uh, he talks about all these archaeological discoveries we've made that are actually, at, for, at first, people, were, they're creating like crises of faith. Like, whoa, Genesis sounds so much like all these other creation stories, maybe because it's made up too. No. Moses is, is communicating in ways they would understand to show them what God is like. Like, listen to this. There's a, a God called Gudea. Okay, and he was in Mesopotamia around this time. And we found a statue of him where this God is holding temple construction plans. Listen to this. This is nuts, right? He's holding these temple construction plans. And what do the plans say? It says you should build a temple in six days. The first three days of construction, you just build the structure for the temple. So you just build the actual temple. You put the walls up, put the roof on it, make sure the door works. That's days one through three. Days four through six, here's what you do. You fill the temple with stuff. So, you know, like your God needs like a cool red carpet. Throw the red carpet in there, these cool gold ornaments. Throw all that in there. Does that sound familiar? The earth was formless. No structure, no shape, no walls put up, and void. Listen to these. There's days one through three, and there's days through four through six. Listen to this. Day six. What does God make on day six? Animals and people. That's the, that's the void. He's, and what's he filling? The land. All right. On day five, on day two, excuse me, what does God make? He separates the water. Remember, there's water below, water above. On day five... What does he make? Yeah, the Philadelphia Eagles and fish. He's filling the water below and the water above. And day, day one, remember, light and darkness. The day that corresponds to that, day three, sun, moon, and stars. Moses is trying to say the earth is the Lord's temple. And you and I were made to live there. It's graduation season. In just a couple of weeks, probably, a, a talk will go viral where some wildly successful person will, will tell college students who have no idea what's going on with their life, uh, they'll, they'll give them some speech, and the ones that go viral are like, hey, follow your passions, it doesn't matter, fail big, embrace the roller coaster, woohoo! All right? 
That is not helpful for someone who's about to set off on life, right? Too much freedom is awful. Not like political freedom. Okay, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not like trying to sign us up for anything. But like too much just like existential freedom is incredibly paralyzing. What do I do? You can do anything you want. We need to learn to walk. The creation story is limiting our freedom. It's saying, hey, you were made to be known and to know God and then to rule his world. Limiting freedom is not, is not diminishing love in any way. God does say there's fence posts here. But in the middle of those fence posts is life. And there's danger outside those fence posts. And God, who's teeming with life, wants us as his creation to run wild and free in those fence posts. Do you know what the first thing he says to people is? The very first command in Genesis 2, the first thing that God says to people is, you can say, what do you think it is? And if it's okay if you're wrong, we love each other. What do you think the first thing God says to people is? Okay, if you were a little more courageous, you'd say, don't eat, right? Don't eat from these trees, right? That's not it. In Genesis 2, the first thing God says is eat freely. Eat freely. There's freedom with God. He's teeming with life, and there is freedom in his presence and knowing him. Now, if that's, if that's cool, Moses just keeps cranking it up, okay? So after you build this temple in six days, the very last step, the very last step of temple construction is you make an idol for the God who's going to go in the temple, and you put that idol in the center of the temple. Now, we're going to read the whole chapter in a second. Genesis 1.26. You really need to hear this. Listen really, really carefully. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. Okay. Let us make mankind in our image. The Hebrew word for image is tselem. Tselem. A tselem is a statue. Here's what God is saying. Let's make a statue of us and put it in the middle of this temple. Okay. The image of God, lots of people have questions. What does it mean to be in the image of God? Does it mean like we have a conscience, emotions? Fundamentally, what it means to be in the image of God is that you are a statue of God's glory and presence. This is hard to see, but if you're really interested, take a picture of it. This is a Bruce Walkie and Kathy Fredericks. In the ancient Near East, it is widely believed that a God's spirit lived in any statue or image of that God, with the result that that image could function as a kind of representative or a substitute for that God wherever it was placed. Listen to this. If you are the CEO of a company, if you are, if you are houseless, if you are the smartest person in the room, if you barely made it through high school, if you're mentally disabled, whatever ethnicity you are, every single person you see is the image of God, is a statue to Yahweh. That's why. What's the very first commandment? Don't make an image of me. Why? I already did it. Why does God say don't murder? Because you're destroying my image. People have tremendous dignity, value, and worth because the image of God was tarnished but not lost. All people have the image of their creator. And, and as one Old Testament scholar says, and this may make some of you uncomfortable, but you've just got to live in that uncomfort. There is a distinction between the creator and the creation. But God blurs that distinction when he makes people. He blurs that distinction. That does not mean we worship people. No, 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 no. It does not mean that. But it's a statement about who God is. The gods of the ancient Near East, what did they do? 
They enslaved people. Who were these people? They were slaves. And in Egypt, there was only one image of God, and it was Pharaoh. This is a statue of, of, of I think the god is called Carmen, making Pharaoh on a potter's wheel from the clay. Yahweh forms mankind from the dust of the earth. It's not, the image of God is not just reserved for royalty. It's all people. Human rights is fundamentally a Christian idea. Human rights. Human rights is fundamentally a Christian idea. Now, the story keeps getting crazier. Here we go. We talked about Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Why? So that they may rule. So that they may rule. How does Yahweh interact with power? Does he hoard it to himself? Does he then, is he like top down, yells at you to get in line? He gives it away. He's generous right on the opening page of Scripture. He gives it away. Christians are not people who fight for power. We are people who give power away. If anyone wants to be great in the kingdom, let him be the least. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Christians follow a God who gives power away. And it's real. The Bible has a very high view of what's called human agency. Human agency. What, what does that mean? Well, let's say I were to go to the doctor. You know how they have those like, oh man, there are doctors in here. I gotta be, what are those like things that are like triangles and they hit your knees with them? Reflex hammers? A creative community. Okay. So the, th- the hammers that they use to test your reflexes are called reflex hammers, okay? If, if you were to hit me with a reflex hammer, Lord willing, I, I would have a reflex, okay? Getting old, right? Um, that is, a, that is no, no agency was involved with that, okay? I, I, did not have, I did not, like, make a choice to do that. That is low agency. God, when he says, I want, I want to give you, you want to, I want to rule with you, He really does want humans to rule creation with him. He is giving away the farm. He he rules the heavens and the earth, and he gave earth to people to rule and to really rule. The decisions we make really do make a real difference. God wants humans to use their agency to rule his creation. For some of us, that's terrifying. Like, ah! Like, when I was a kid, I used to play basketball in, like, high school and stuff. And I hated when they would put me in. I was like, I was, this is true. I was a captain, and I would go out and, like, shake everybody's hand, and then I would warm the bench. And I loved it. I loved it. And I hated when they put me in because, like, ah, I don't want to change this game. Like, I don't want to. What if I shoot and miss and the other team wins? Then it's on me. We really do have skin in this game. Well, how do we rule well? How do we rule well? His word. We're supposed to dwell with this God. Remember, his spirit is in creation. Genesis 1-2, the word for spirit is ruach. In Genesis 2, it says that Adam walked with God. In some versions say the cool of the day, but it's the ruach of the day. In Hebrew, walk doesn't just mean this. Like, Okay, that's not, that's not Hebrew for walk. All right? In Hebrew, walk is like live your life. Do life with. Adam dwelt with God's presence in the garden. That's how he lived. Listen to this. If you, we're going to read it in just a second. And as we go through the creation days, I want you to count it. Except if you have an NIV. Because when we count, and he said, guess how many and he saids there are. Ten. Yes. Wow. That was amazing. You guys don't need me. There are ten and he says. Okay. The NIV puts 11. 
I think 22 is the one that doesn't belong. They translated a different word, so this is going to be annoying. Just use it for the references if you want to look it up later. 10, and he says, with 10 words, God made everything. Okay, 10 words, God makes everything. Where else in the Bible do we hear about 10 words? Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. With ten words, God makes the world. And with ten words, God makes a people. God is teeming with life and there is life at his side, in his presence. When we live and when we dwell in his word, we experience that life. It changes us and then we can go out differently into the world. We are made to both dwell with God and get stuff done. Okay, but let's keep going. We're, well, here we go. This, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, let's just read uh, starting in 31. Okay, keep, keep going with me for a second. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Remember, good doesn't just mean that's nice. It means it's teeming with goodness. There's, it's a source of life. And it's not just good. It's very goodness. Okay? You're welcome. Uh, okay? God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. You hear that after every day. There was evening there was morning the first day. There was evening there was morning the second. Okay? We stop hearing that soon. Listen to how you don't hear that. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. But by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Do you hear? There's no, and there was evening, and there was morning the seventh day. I'll wait. Yes. Okay. There's no, there was evening, and there was morning the seventh day. Why? Because God's rest is meant to be eternal. Creation is working its way to the seventh day. And once we enter into God's rest, it's not supposed to stop. Okay? And, 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 and. It gets so good. Okay? In the ancient Near East, gods rested in their temples and ruled the world from their temples. Also in the Greco world. Like, think about, like, the gods, like, kind of on Mount Olympus, spread out eating grapes. And what are they doing? Mm, kill that village. Mm, they're ruling the world from rest. Why are they ruling the world from rest? Because you're God. Nobody's going to mess with you. Okay? This is Psalm 132, 7 and 8. Let us go to his dwelling places. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Yahweh, to your resting place, you and your mighty ark. The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol for God's presence, right? God's presence was the Ark of the Covenant. Raiders of the Lost Ark is the greatest movie of my childhood, but, like, get that image out of your mind. You couldn't touch it because if you touch, you could look at it, but you couldn't touch it because if you touch God's presence, he's holy, you're not, game over, okay? God's presence is in the Ark of the Covenant. Where does the Ark of the Covenant rest? The temple. And where does God rule from? His temple. Okay? You're starting to see what's happening. God rests is both, both saying, hey, my work is good and I'm done. And it's him sitting on his throne to rule. Here's, here's what's amazing about that. Still, to this day, every Saturday, millions of people stop what they're doing. Why? It's called Sabbath. It finds its origins on these pages. What are they doing? They're entrusting themselves to God's rule and reign. They're saying, you're God, I'm not. I'm going to experience your care and love. Yes, do I have emails to write? Yes, are there people that need me? You run the universe, God, today. I trust you. 
It's an invitation to experience his rule in our lives. And how do we experience that? Through his word. Look, if it, let's just try this. We didn't do this in the first service. Let's just try it now. On the count of three, can everybody say, let there be light? Can we do that? Okay, ready? One, two, three. Let there be light. Nothing happened. But when God speaks, something happens. Philosophers call that speech act theory. Okay? When God speaks, stuff happens. We dwell with God when we dwell in his word. That's why, that's why this story's ending is so very sad. Because these people who experienced God's presence, who dwelled with him, remember they were supposed to they were put in the garden to, to work, which is experience his presence, to worship, to cultivate. And then what's the other one? To keep and to guard. What were they supposed to guard? His word. We've been talking about how these people were priests. That phrase, to keep and to guard, is used again in the book of Numbers to describe what the priests were supposed to do in the temple. And in the temple... Uh, like the actual tabernacle temple in Israel, when like an animal came into the tabernacle and temple, the priests were supposed to kill it. Okay? We're getting ahead of ourselves, but what happens next week at the fall? An animal comes into the garden. And what happens? Do they kill it? They listen to it. They stepped over the fence post. They said, yeah, there's freedom, there's life here, but it would be nice if we could determine what freedom and life look like for ourselves. We want to be wise. God said this, but did he really? Did he really? Listen to this. This is uh, Psalm 19. This is describing, Psalm 19 is a celebration of God's two books, nature and scripture. This is celebrating the scripture part of it. The statutes of Yahweh are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Sound familiar? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. Right? Let's hear that again. The statutes are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Psalm uh, Genesis 3 says it was desirable for gaining wisdom. They are right, giving joy to the heart. That's the same kind of phrase for good for food in Hebrew. And then uh, they're radiant, giving light to the eyes. Uh, they were pleasing to the eye. They took God's word and said, yeah, but. And they ate from the wrong tree. There are over a thousand chapters, I think, in the Bible. Or pages. Pages. I don't know. This is a big book. Okay? The first two chapters are like, this is what we are made for. This is, this is life. And everything else is, how in the world did we get back there? Chaos entered into the world, sin and death and coronavirus and conspiracy theories and fights about masks and racism enter into the world when we step outside of the fence, when we eat from the wrong tree. But in just a minute, we're going to eat from another tree. In just a minute, we're going to have communion. And communion is us eating the fruit from another tree. A tree got us into this mess. And God came on a tree to get us out of this mess. Calvary. And we're going to eat the fruit of that tree. We're going to... He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed on behalf of the new covenant. What happened, what happened in the garden, what was lost, 
gets returned when a new human comes onto the scene. The first Adam failed, and a new Adam shows up to pick up where that Adam failed. And throughout the Jesus stories, there are so many echoes back to the creation narrative. Here's one. John 16. Jesus said, it's better that I go away for you to receive the helper. Okay. Genesis 2. There was not an animal found fit for the man. He needed a helper. Right. There's a marriage between man and woman in the opening chapters. And then, because of Jesus now, there's a marriage between God and humanity. First, he gave us the world, and we failed. Then, he gives us himself. And we celebrate that today in communion. In just a minute, we're going to read Genesis 1. We're going to read it together. And then uh, the band is going to come up, and we're going to just silently sit before the Lord. We were made to be with him. We're going we're gonna to live like that in just a second. And then together we're going to take communion. But before we do that, I want to read this creation story. And I'm hoping that you see, see it with new eyes. So, would you please stand with me? And we're going to read Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kind and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, days, and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and separate light from darkness. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly over the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. 
And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. To all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was okay. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. This sermon is part of the ministry of Compass Evangelical Free Church in Columbia, Missouri. We seek to be a church where Christ's love is at work transforming lives through the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. For more information, check out compassefc.com.